We are facing a mental health crisis, and it's more important than ever to have access to the support we need. That's why I'm grateful for BetterHelp, the largest online counseling platform in the world. BetterHelp is changing the way people get help with life challenges by providing convenient, discreet, and affordable access to licensed therapists. With BetterHelp, professional counseling is available anytime, anywhere, from your smartphone, computer, or tablet. If you're looking for support, sign up today at BetterHelp.com. Use the promo code SOLVINGHEALTHCARE to get 10% off sign-up fees. That's BetterHelp.com, promo code SOLVINGHEALTHCARE. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Solving Healthcare Nation, we are back, and we have the lovely Better Half the other Dr. K, Catherine Karamantang, welcome to the show. Thank you. Honestly, Kathy, we've seen a lot over the last three years, especially like the, everything around the pandemic. And I'm curious to hear your perspective on what you're seeing post-pandemic. Like, what, do you, what are you seeing out of your clients in terms of mental health disorders? Are you seeing a lot of depression, anxiety? Is the volume changing compared to, say, four or five years ago? Well, I mean, I think part of it is what I see and part of it is what I'm hearing from my colleagues as well and my friends in the business. Um, And I think we're all seeing it. We're also seeing it personally, right? And when we talk to friends and neighbors and relatives, I think we've heard a lot about the mental health impacts of the pandemic. And I think in like in the professional's office, people are definitely seeing a lot uh, higher demand for services. I think there's two reasons for that. I think the main reason is that people were suffering more with their mental health during the pandemic. And I think that's pretty well established. You know, we know the, the stats and the rates of all of that went up. Um, but I think the other factor is, um, and maybe a little silver lining, is that it became a bit more normalized for people to reach out for mental health services that actually like the powers that be and the mental health advocates. Um, and I mean, I guess even just workplaces and things like that really normalize uh, seeking services, reaching out for mental health support, you know, doing what you can to get through. We were all going through this together. And, um, and so that's another reason why we're seeing increased people in the office. But I mean, obviously the main one is that rates are increasing and like to answer your question directly, I would say we're seeing an increase in 
everything, but mainly, you know, your typical sort of anxiety and depressive disorders would be the biggest ones. Um, I definitely see more anxiety that I can link directly to COVID, to the pandemic period. People who didn't experience much anxiety before um, or had an anxiety, a history of anxiety that was very much under control prior to the pandemic. And then it just got worse, just amplified, and they needed help. Then, you know, they couldn't get through on their own. Um, and we can talk about why that is. And then um, maybe some new onsets of depression, but more worsening of existing depression. And then also um, a lot more substance use and abuse, like va vastly more. Um, and it's not something I treat directly. That's not a specialty of mine necessarily, but just in my general population, hearing a lot more um, complaints and reports of, of overuse. I mean, I do agree the awareness, mental health awareness has been significant over, I mean, even pre-pandemic with uh, Let's Talk, like we, there was more of a movement, more of an acceptance. But yeah, it really felt like it was more. Like it really felt like it was more. Like if we think about what we put people through, it's inevitable to think in my mind that a lot of mental health conditions would be exacerbated and then also access to care, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a couple of things with access to care we can get into, but um, that are kind of like we said, the pandemic was a double-edged sword there, that, that there, there were good sides and bad sides to that because a lot of things became virtual and Anyway, we can talk about that in a second, but just to your first point, absolutely. I mean, if you take anybody and force them through a major life transition, a major life change that feels completely or almost completely out of their control, you strip away the majority of their coping strategies, like their ability to socialize and exercise and be out and all these kinds of things, even physically going into work to get a break from home or whatever. Um, and it, you do that to them for an indeterminate amount of time. And then you stack on top of that, like a fear-based scenario, like we could all get really sick and die or your loved ones could get really sick and die. And we don't know exactly how this thing is going to play out. I mean, it's just a, and then the isolation, just long-term isolation. And then all of the uncertainty, if this is going to open, oh no, this isn't going to open. You're going to be allowed to do this. No, you're not going to be allowed to do that. You can do this. So you can only do it for a month. And then we're back to locking down. I think all of those things are, if we were to create, you know, a little Petri dish of, of how to, you know, instigate mental health problems, that would probably be part of the you know, part of the thing, the other, I mean, the other things are all the other social determinants of health, you know, which I mean, maybe I, I could harp on this a little bit too long, but all of these things like, you know, food security, job security, um, income uh, security, um, relationships, again, the social factors, um, feeling of safety, access to healthcare, you know, to your point about access to mental health services, but even access to physical health services. You and I both saw that that was an issue during the pandemic, and we're still, um, and for many years, are going to be feeling the ramifications of that in the healthcare system uh, and in people's personal health. I mean, if you just attack all those things on, like, of course, people are going to suffer. Of course, their mental health is going to suffer. It would be expected. Yeah. I mean, my, 
my beef has always been we we didn't do much to mitigate any of this. Like there's one part which we could talk. I mean, maybe it's a different discussion on did we need to go through all the stuff that we needed to go through? Like, did we need to have the extended school closures, extended lockdowns, et cetera, like not take advantage of some of the many ways that we could have connected, like say outside, like we didn't leverage that enough in my opinion, but, but yeah, like was it in your mind, was there, like, did we, did we miss out on, on, on an opportunity to, to at least offset some of these consequences? Yeah, I mean it's tough. Like hindsight is always twenty twenty. So I, I, I'm I'm thinking in my mind often during the pandemic we were moving through new scenarios that we didn't know how to handle until we were a good portion of the way through handling them. And so especially early in the pandemic, I think a lot of decisions were made based on that lack of knowledge and just like an absolute you know, let's do our best to do these extreme measures to keep people as safe as possible until we understand. But then once we got a better understanding, and you and I have talked about this so much personally, once and you because I think our family got a better understanding of the risks associated with COVID because you were so directly exposed to it from a very, I mean, like the first day, I remember still the first day of the pen of the pandemic in Canada when everything shut down and nobody was going into work. I was switching to virtual kids were locked down, you know, and you were like getting dressed in the morning to go into work. You were like literally the only person probably on the road that day, you know, you and the nursing staff and whoever in the hospital. And, uh, and it was, um, it was really scary, but then the fact that you were exposed to it so early, I think I think we got to know and understand the virus in a much more intimate and different way than the general public did. But eventually the public, the government, you know, the statisticians, the epidemiologists, everyone started to get more information and a better understanding of the virus and then also a better understanding of the implications of the restrictions related to managing the spread of the virus. And as that happened, I, I do think that we could have done a better job. And I think different regions did do a better job and different countries did do a better job Word. Yeah, on factoring in these other determinants of health and mental health um, that, you know, where we are, especially Ontario, was one of the most restrictive environments in terms of closures and school closures and extended you know, lockdowns and things like that, you know, banning outdoor activities, even sometimes outdoor gatherings where I was just in BC speaking with a friend and she just, she, when she heard that, she just said, well, that's insane. Our, you know, public health was telling us meet outdoors. They were opening up parks. They wanted people to get outside because they knew that people needed to do that to maintain their mental health. So yeah, I think over time, I'm really running on here. I think over time, uh, we could have done a better job. I think there were other things that came up during the pandemic, like different variants that might have been a bit scary too. But again, if we had learned from the previous episodes, we would have adapted faster to those. Yeah, I mean, my problem was just straight up the lack of learning, the lack of like we ignored data that we that we that provided safe outlets. For example, the as you mentioned, the outdoor transmission. Like to this day, I have not heard of a clear outdoor 
transmission. Like even when people say, "Oh, I went to this concert and I got COVID," and they'll, they they rarely tell you that they were in the public transportation or they took an Uber with four people or what or whatnot. Yeah, so, or they partied before with all their friends. Exactly, before they went to but the like, concert, which was against the rules, but people were still doing it. Yeah, yeah. and like the outdoor stuff, uh, just as a, a pure example, was cl- clear to me when we early on, like pre Omicron, when kids were low risk of spreading the, the the virus and what we the way we allowed ourselves to handle the kids to me that was the other point i know you're not a child psychologist but just knowing that critical time period for so many kids yeah and yeah and and we just we just legit ignored that yeah i think i think a point you know where i personally got very frustrated uh with the lack of sense behind some of the restrictions was when in Ottawa over the Christmas break, I think 2020 or 2021, God, it all blurs together. I'm sure that's another issue. Um, They banned outdoor hockey. I think it was 2020, actually. I was traveling on an airplane at that point back to Alberta to see my dad who was dying of cancer and to spend some time with him. And I was going back and forth like fairly regularly every few months at that point. And um, so that that was 2020 because my dad passed in 2021. So it was the Christmas of 2020. Oh, I'm talking yeah. January 2021. Yeah, that's right. Over that holiday of 2020 to 2021. Anyway, um, and so they had stopped the restrictions on the airplane where, you know, you had to be three feet apart. So Mm -hmm. you could sit literally, you know, like right next to somebody and you had to wear a mask, but you could take off your mask to eat and drink. So you're sitting next to someone as they're like shoving peanuts in their mouth. Sensical. Right. And and their mask is off and your mask is off and you're all talking and you're closed for for six hours and then or five hours or whatever. And then um, I come back to Ottawa after that trip and um, they're saying that kids can't play hockey on the rinks because they're going to be outdoors, because they're going to be in too close contact. And we also saw a personal impact on our kids um, at that time from that because they had been really enjoying that because everything else had been stopped at that point, all, all activities. And, uh, and I, I just, I mean, just at some point, it doesn't make sense anymore. And that at that point, I realized how political and how much lobbyists were then involved in that decision making, which is probably true for many aspects of government, but probably shouldn't affect public health decision making that much. And money was involved in it, because obviously, the airlines were losing money by not putting as many people on their planes, and the government's trying to protect them. But then you know, they, they protect them over top of my health, but then they, they don't protect the health of our children. It just, I, I mean, I, I might not be making total clear sense, but that's to me where I think it became nonsensical. Maybe that's why I don't make sense explaining it. And, uh, and it, um, I started to look at the restrictions and think about, I need to start thinking, we need to start thinking for ourselves a little bit here. We need to listen to public health. We need to respect them. Um, but we also need to look at other determinants of health within our family um, because I didn't want what was happening to my clients, what was happening to people I spoke to in the public uh, to happen to us as a family. And we were under enough stress with your work and my work, um, as much stress as anyone else. And Yeah, I mean, I still remember the conversation that you and I had. So. For those, this is an inaugural show, so those that have, don't know who I am, but we, we used to do a lot of media 
around COVID to, to be able to talk, give COVID updates and, and give some context to the information we were getting. But our family knew that was risque. Like the landscape of COVID at the time was sinister. I mean, we've had online attacks towards our family. It, it got It got wicked, but my wife and I, I don't want to speak for you. We, we, it was important to try and offset the fear messaging. It really, it really became during different parts, really like the fear messaging was strong and we knew it would have some impact on the mental health and, and long-term impacts, impacts that were, were, were people were still seeing to this day. And from an ICU perspective, we see it from like the, the substance abuse, the overdoses, suicide attempts, for sure. But yeah, I I think it was, yeah, I, I don't know, Kathy. Like it was just, I think it was really. I don't think we underappreciated at all the impacts of that that strong of a fear messaging. What it would, the impact it would have on the public. Well, I mean, I think that's why we made the decision as a family that you would speak out on the topic, you know, to the media, because at that point you weren't as involved with the media and um, you were approached to give your opinion. And we knew your opinion differed from what we were hearing, you know, on the mass media at that very early in the pandemic. And, um, you know, we were developing the sense of like, actually, we're probably all going to be okay if we're smart through this you know, we take care of ourselves, we're all going to be okay. And that was an unusual message for that time. And unfortunately remained in some ways an unpopular message, or at least in some circles, an unpopular message throughout the pandemic. And I want to talk a little bit about how that, that state of fear, I think, affected people um, and their mental health and their decision-making um, over the many years, the three years that we went through that. And I think that's part of what we're still seeing in terms of the impacts of the pandemic on mental health. Many people are starting to and are very much feeling more comfortable being outside and getting together with others and, you know, getting back into life. I think we're now in this place where a lot of people feel they've, they've moved forward. But we're still seeing, you know, signs of that lingering anxiety that lingering um, tendency to make overcautious sort of fear-based decisions. And, you know, not, it's funny, I, I wrote on here YOLO too. I'm also seeing kind of an opposite effect um, in a certain population, like sort of the 20 to 40 year olds, frankly. So it's like kind of a, a large span of people who are th- kind of throwing caution to the wind and doing some really risky stuff, using some uh, substances right now that are um, pretty unregulated and and not necessarily, I think, in the safest way, like the psychedelics and this type of thing that goes speaks into the substance abuse. You know, during the pandemic, we saw a lot of alcohol use and cannabis use and overuse uh, to cope with the stress. And now I'm seeing this this effect too of people are over drinking, but more and, and over consuming cannabis, but also using psychedelics a lot more and the popularization of that. And just kind of like, you know, let's enjoy life. Like let's, let's just, so now it's like kind of party mode. But anyways, I think I got myself off track there. 
what I am seeing it in most people is not necessarily that YOLO party life mentality and, and that heavy substance use. What I'm seeing is that fear-based um, decision-making and that overcautiousness and how that anxiety is creeping into other parts of their lives. So we're seeing them try to maybe be a little bit over-controlling of things or not managing stress well, you know, in the workplace or in relationships or in, you know, the school system or things like that. And I think those are some lingering of effects of COVID. Yeah, I definitely, at a personal level, of seeing the lack of resilient when it comes to stress that that I'm seeing f- front hand like people are snapping more mm-hmm. people seem a li- like a little bit more edgy you know for a while you're wondering if it's just in your head but honestly like even even at, I was telling you when our second born hockey game there was mm-hmm. like an incident and like they're you know eight nine eight nine years old like we hadn't seen anything like that with our older kid maybe once yeah and yeah you could feel that tension so I guess no. You look like you're going to say something. Yeah, i i think I think there's another factor in that is that especially earlier on, maybe now not quite so much. Although there are still some things that we're just starting to do for the first time again. Like we just went downtown to Ottawa for Canada Day for the first time, you know, this year, and that was the first sort of major ride for us on public transportation in a busy environment. But people are not used to being around other people completely yet. And so this level of agitation and also a level of anxiety, to me, it reminds me of when you see someone who's very anxious, a very anxious flyer, but not just the fear of flight, but people just get kind of edgy around flying. You know, they're like forced through security and they're kind of agitated and you're rushed and you're worried about missing your plane and you're jammed in with all these people and you got to get around. And there's this like aggravation or agitation that comes from that. And I think that's a bit, it's, it's similar to, it's akin to what we're seeing now in the general public. When you're out in a busy store, when you're on public transportation, when you're trying to get into an event, you know, some, are you standing in line for too long? We are impatient with each other. We are ad, more agitated with each other. And I can't help but think a lot of that is because we are just unused to being around each other. And maybe because of that, a little bit more anxious. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that anxiety that, you know, one of the things I'm doing with clients a lot right now to help get through this anxiety of being with others, being in small talk conversation, being in new situations is um, just these very small micro exposures, you know, to new situations and gradually kind of, you know, adapting yourself to yeah so like not going not necessarily going to folk fest or the 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 hockey game but going to something smaller scale totally and just creep into it yeah go back to your local pub i mean not that i'm advocating drinking but like go back to your local you know uh patio restaurant with a patio swimming competition (laughs) competition. (laughs) you know you don't have to go to ghana today you can go to like the outdoor um movie like free film thing in a park or something like that with other people around where you can space yourself a bit more but um and start doing social things more start doing little incremental steps towards more social things and gradually with more and more people um and that will help to reduce that social anxiety and agitation and impatience and 
the worry about what am I going to say to people? What am I going to talk about? That can help you to get through that gradually. Yeah. No, that's, that's good advice, Kathy, because every little step forward will help. Yeah. I mean, the point is to not be afraid of being afraid anymore. Hmm. You know, there's like a fear of fear. So or fear of anxiety, it's okay to feel anxious. You know, everybody feels anxious. It's a normal emotion. So step in, let yourself feel anxious, you know, take some deep breaths, ground yourself, you know, put your feet on the floor, grab a hold of something, you know, and take that once when you feel a little bit calmer, take one step forward, you know, and you just keep doing that. And I mean, it makes it sound, it probably oversimplifies it. If anyone who's listening to this is struggling with an anxiety disorder, that's going to sound like a big oversimplification. And I am speaking of it more from a standpoint of just managing generally increased anxiety because of the pandemic. Certainly, if you have an anxiety disorder, there are probably some additional steps that you're taking to help manage that. But um, this idea, you know, for the general population, if you're feeling apprehensive, anxious, intimidated by doing things, you know, just that general sense of, I don't want to do this. I mean, this, this can be really helpful. Just taking that one step forward. Don't be afraid of being afraid. Take a deep breath, calm yourself down. You have the capability. You've done it before. You know, you've been able to do it before you did it before the pandemic and you're, you're going to be okay. And if you're really not okay, you're going to get out of there and you're, you're going to be okay. You know? So I think that sense of like, we're all going to be okay. I think we kind of lost that during the pandemic a little bit and we have to rebuild that. I'm going to be okay in public. I'm going to be okay with others. The other thing is that's going to help with depression too, right? Because a lot of people, the depression that they felt or this term came up during the pandemic, this languishing, like just feeling kind of meh, you know, um, low motivation, like the clinical term is anhedonia. You like lose interest in things. You're not as engaged or you don't enjoy things as much that's going to be improved the more you do things. So pick one new thing you're going to try this week, you know, set it in the schedule and go out and give it a try. And that's going to help with that too. Just being around other people, even if it's not somebody in your close social circle, you know, even if you are really isolated and alone, just being around other people will help you to feel better than being alone in your home or apartment or whatever. It's it's a really good point. And I, that anhedonia or the, the meh feeling I, I, that I, I've seen everywhere. Like mm-hmm. even just at a personal level, like getting the boys to a summer hockey team, even getting our fall hockey team boys, you better sign up by the way. Like we are the, like people have just lost that interest. They lost their, their, uh, their jump. You know what I'm saying? And this is, and I know, like, we're in a circle with the folks that have a lot of means, right? And I know if we are feeling this, there's got to be way more people feeling this at scale. You know what I mean? And so I think it's really important point to address on how to approach that. Once again, taking those little steps, trying those things that are new, but but knowing that, you, you'll get through it. This will serve you better in the long term. But yeah, I, I think people just need that reminder. I know I need that reminder every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I want to touch on a- another thing you brought up there, which is sort of the economic factor. Because I think that's another thing that was a big stressor for people during the pandemic and continues to be. 
I mean, we see with the rise of inflation, the cost of living, you know, groceries, all of that, that, you know, the impacts of the pandemic, I mean, a lot of people lost their jobs, pri- you know, primarily women. Um, it affected, went down from, from full-time to part-time to not working at all. And a lot of families are still dealing with the negative implications of that. And then amidst the rising cost of living. And um, I think the, we have to think about how disproportionately affected the lower, you know, socioeconomic classes, like the lower income families um, and people were by this pandemic. And that's going to show up in their mental health and their health as well. I mean, that's one of the major social determinants of health. And they will continue to suffer from those consequences of it for longer. And we need to do more. And I want to talk about some some services that are low cost or no cost that can help anyone. Um, but that would be especially helpful for people who don't have a benefits plan, who can't afford, I mean, 200 plus dollars for a therapy session, yeah. which, which is important. I just got to go off on this a little bit because this was this was a sensitive topic for me during the pandemic when people you would talk about economic implications of our restrictions, shutdowns, whatever all these restrict uh, all these measures, and we would scream saying, "You can't ignore the economy. This is health. People's ability to take care of themselves, they need to have a source of income." Their ability to stay, like, you can't stay home and educate your kids if you don't have means. You have to go to, you have to go to work. You can't afford, and if you're suffering, especially the kids, to see a child psychologist, as you said, it's like over $200 or whatever, have you. Like, this to me was killer. This to me, that argument, oh, health isn't much, like, you can't be just focused on the, the, the dollar. I'm like, yeah, that's easy for you to say, uh, zoomatologist that gets to stay at home and uh, still get a full, uh, full income. I just and 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 it, the part that bothered me the most is that people, like the 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 people that was impacted the most, look like me. They were they were marginalized. They were racialized communities, and to me, this was part of the why they just let it go. They, they would just, oh, you know what? We could stay at home as long as we want. Can we? I mean, we were talking about this. Like you think of the family of six that's living in a two-bedroom apartment in an apartment complex where, remember when they shut down outdoor parks for that very God, brief yeah. period of time? You know, we were talking about, like, we have a great backyard. You know, we, we have neighbors on the street that we can play with pretty safely. And some people don't live in neighborhoods where their kids can play outside safely, you know, or they, they don't have a backyard that they can put their kids into or they don't have the cottage that they can escape to, you know, and, and go and get out into nature. They don't live anywhere near nature. You know, they needed that playground. And I, I do think that a lot of those decisions, um, I mean, they, I don't know what they were considering in some of those decisions. I can't say that they didn't have those people in mind, but we did not do enough service to um, people of, of lower income um, and of less means. And they suffered for it. And we should be ashamed of that. And um, we should be disproportionately now trying to make up for that and helping them. Absolutely. We need to step up and and pick up the pace. And this is where, you know, I I set you up with that question. But to me, if you know, we are going to have worsening mental health, 
this is, you know, we're in Canada where we say it's universal healthcare. They should have access to, to therapists, period. Not having to pay out of pocket, especially if you're low income. Like we needed to be more proactive. Put some counselors in schools with tools saying like, hey guys, this is going to be hard. Here's what you could do to try and mitigate that. Be proactive. Like I, it, it drives me nuts because it's, it was so predictable. It was so predictable and you cannot approach any problem myopically or with a, a narrow lens. You have to see the big picture. How's it going to impact, you know, the other things, I mean, cancer screening, elective surgery, but the big player, mental health, right? And so you you were saying, Kathy, and I don't know the answers to these so that you're going to bust out, but like you, you're saying like there's there are tools or, or services that, that folks would have access to that maybe don't have means. Yeah, I mean, there there are definitely sliding scale, reduced fee or free mental health services offered out there. There are often, you know, you're engaging virtually in many of these services, like Ontario has the Bounce Back program, which I think is run by CAMH uh, in Toronto, but that's a virtual, you know, health platform that, that links you up with sort of a, a therapist guide to help you through some self-directed materials, I believe. Um, there, you know, there's, they had the ICBT, I think they call it ability CBT uh, for a while. That was free. Um, again, that was a therapist guided CBT program. Um, that's not free anymore. Uh, you have to pay for it, but, um, I, I believe that it's covered by some benefit plans. And I wonder if there's a sliding scale to that. And a lot of people don't know about the sliding scale therapy services in their communities, um, like here in Ottawa, and I imagine in other municipalities at least. And again, this is a benefit of the pandemic is that it made a lot of these services available virtually. So where people in rural settings might not have had access to some of these free or low cost services previously, now those services are virtual and they can service a larger community like that. Um, but any of the um, family services programs uh, run by the city. Uh, so Toronto or Ottawa Family Services or um, the Jewish or the Catholic Family Services. Sometimes these are funded by religious organizations, but they're funded by like the charitable arm of those religious organizations. And the services there, what a lot of people don't understand is the services there are non-denominational or can be non-denominational. And sometimes the counselors working there aren't uh, even a member of that religion. They don't practice that religion. So Jewish Family Services is a good example. Their service in Ottawa is called the Counseling Group. It's not even called Jewish Family Services anymore because they didn't want to turn people away thinking that they had to come in and accept Judaism, you know, to, to do that. They just want to help. They want to help people with mental health. And they do an income-based sliding scale a service. There's going to be wait times for these services, but I got to tell you out there in even like the private psychology offices, there are wait times for everyone I speak with. Um, so people can access those by just simply searching online. You know, what are the family services or what are the sliding scale services available in their community? And if you live in a rural community, then look into the one at the local, like the, the closest municipality. Um, a lot of the community health centers um, that uh, are all throughout Ottawa, I imagine, are, are also in other municipalities in Ontario. Um, those also run sliding scale or free mental health services. Again, there's going to be a wait list. You have to sign on for it, um, but it's worth the wait. 
you know, if you think you might need help, um, then put your name on those. So there are services out there. Maybe we don't do the best job sort of advertising for those um, or promoting those. Um, but I, I would encourage people to look into that. And then for everybody else, you know, there's psychologists, psychotherapists um, in abundance out there. I know there's a wait. I know there's a wait maybe for someone, but for someone who you want specifically, but ask for a referral from your physician, from a friend, you know, talk to other people about it, whoever you're open to talking to about it. And, and you'll, you'll be able to find someone. And if you're struggling, that's, that's going to help. Yeah. I, I mean, full stop, you feel like you need help, seek help. The, I mean, the professionals for a reason that help guide you through whatever, whether it is depression, anxiety, or, what, or whatever mental struggle you're going through. I, I want to go back to this idea that just to normalize mental health struggles in the pandemic, what we said at the very beginning, like this literally, if we were going to make a recipe for people to struggle with their mental health, we would put them in the situation that we've been in in the last three years. So if you are struggling with anxiety, depression, loneliness, substance use, you know, eating disorders, that's one we didn't touch on, but we saw a huge increase in the rate of eating disorders, Especially probably related to stress and anxiety and lack of control and all these things that happened during the pandemic. If you are struggling, it is expected, you know, you're actually having the expected response to this situation. And just because things opened up doesn't mean that that struggle ends. I talk to people in my clinic about this all the time. Just because your stressor ends doesn't mean that your body and your mind's reaction to that stressor ends. You might still need help getting through that as your body and your mind start to release the impact of that stressor. And that's okay. It's okay to need help. It's okay to be struggling right now. So reach out and, and get the help. I want you to, to, to end off here with tools people can do maybe before they're at the stage where they need some professional help or even if they are needing professional help and they want to be able to, 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 to help mitigate some of their symptoms. What are some of the things that you find helpful. Yeah, I mean, I, so so some of the things I kind of jotted down before this, that, that these are recommendations that I'm giving to just the vast majority of my clients is, you know, if you're using substances, you know, try to reduce that. And you don't have to go straight to like an abstinence model. Some people do if it's really severe. But if you're just finding that's a bit much, a lot of people don't know that, um, especially sort of the major players, cannabis and alcohol, are, um, you know, related to increased anxiety and depression, especially as you kind of come off of those. And, and they both uh, can impact your sleep, especially alcohol can impact your sleep, which then can also make anxiety and depression worse. So that's just a really direct first step that people can do, you know, try to limit it, try to reduce it just little by little each week. Um, and there's lots of programs out there that can help with that, like just apps that can help you track. There's a, been a huge sort of abstinence or uh, reduced consumption movement sort of as we've lifted out of the pandemic. And if you go online, you'll find all sorts of supports for that. And then the other thing is, is just to think about what healthy activities are in your life or you could have in your life that maybe you've let go of or you've been wanting to try. So just increasing all of those healthy activities, physical activities like exercise, you know, getting out for walks, or if you're sick of going out for walks because we all went for a gazillion walks during the pandemic, 
you know, go try a new fitness class, go try yoga in the park, you know, go, you know, ride your bike to meet up with a friend, just anything that gets your body moving. Anything that's good for the body is good for the brain and the mind and is good for your mental health. So you're pretty hard pressed to be like exercising regularly and not see any mental health benefit of that. It's almost impossible. The brain's response is the release of happy chemicals. So getting your body moving, being physically active, um, getting involved in other, you know, healthy activities like social activities, community activities, get engaged with other people. This brings us back to socialization. This is a major factor in health and happiness. So get back to that social circle, reconnect with a few people in person, you know, preferably Um, start seeing people face to face um, and, and make sure that's like actually worked into your calendar. You know, we, we kind of left those things out of our calendar and to your point about people not signing up for hockey again, like we got used to not doing things. And in a way for a period of time, at least being less busy was a good thing. I think people needed to, some people needed to slow down a little bit, spend a bit more time at home, be less on the go. And some people did better for that. But I'm not saying you have to go back to being overscheduled. But if you're not doing some of those things again, if you haven't gone back to a yoga class, you're not doing that as regularly, try to just schedule that in once a week, even as a start again, thinking about these small steps. Um, And then time to start thinking about the stressors in life. So the pandemic is over, according to the World Health Organization, a pretty reliable body on this stuff. And so, um, but that major stressor, like we said, is still going to have some lingering impacts, but start thinking about other stressors. Like, have you sort of been stuck in your job? You know, have you been putting up with some bad relationships in your life? You know, or do your relationships need a bit of work after the pandemic, which is another big thing that happened to people is their, their very close, intimate relationships especially people that they live with struggled. A lot of couples struggled. That's part two. Yeah. So, so, um, anyway, uh, take a look at some of those things and see if there's something you can't do to work on those. And again, just going back to this idea of, of small goals, just, you know, these are a lot of tips. It's a lot of things It can feel overwhelming. Like you said before, try one thing, try one exercise class, try reaching out to one friend a week, you know, to get together. Just, you know, try to reduce your alcohol consumption by two drinks a week, you know, or something like that. Just or or cut out two days during the week where you don't drink or whatever. Just little steps like that can be, you know, are going to what are going to be what gets you to your goal. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Kathy, we did it. Thank you for agreeing to do this and, and touching on such an important topic and giving people practical tips that I think they'll be able to really hone in on and uh, you're the best. Good. I hope you all do well out there. Take care of yourselves. Thanks so much. I hope y'all thoroughly enjoyed that discussion we had with Catherine Karamantang, the one and only. For those that are catching in late, we just had a discussion about mental health post-pandemic some of the factors that led to such a surge in mental health. One was the awareness Two, we were in a very unnatural environment, stuck at home, isolated, told not to connect. And these scenarios provided us with tough situations to thrive in. And she's seeing it firsthand. But as many of you heard, there's hope. There really is hope through connection, through 
staying active through seeking help if you need it, which I think is one of the many benefits that we've seen over the last few years of destigmatizing mental health and normalizing it. Like it's it's where we need to go. Because as I said, there's a lot of people struggling over the course of the the pandemic, post-pandemic, and it's time to to heal. And I'll make the case too, as, as some of y'all heard, is we should be investing in, in mental health. It should be part of universal health care as far as I'm concerned, especially for those that are don't have the means, that are low socioeconomic status. They're often the ones being hit the hardest. We certainly saw that in terms of the impacts of the restrictions and COVID when it comes down to the need. That's another group that obviously could benefit from from more support. So those are my thoughts. And once again, I want to thank Catherine for, for joining the inaugural Solving Healthcare. Bam, bam, bam. Quick shout out to our sponsor and, and, and partner, BetterHelp, where they provide online counseling service through your tablet, through your phone, through texting, reliable, efficient with your time, available almost 24-7. I love these guys. They're a great partner, betterhelp.com backslash solving healthcare. You'll get 10% off sign up fees or use a promo code solving healthcare. That's a promo code and all one word solving healthcare. And folks, you want to learn more about our mission our mission, folks, getting y'all to avoid someone, seeing someone like myself in an ICU and, and being passionate about fixing our healthcare system, check out our Substack, quadcast.substack.com. That's K-W-A-D-C-A-S-T.substack.com. Basically, it's a one-stop shop for healthcare solutions. We got videos. We got blogs. We got our, our old podcast episodes all in one place. We got courses, we got toolkits, we got meal plans all in one place with the mission to get y'all healthy and being passionate about it. Because this is what I'm saying. We're making getting healthy sexy again. I don't know if it ever wasn't sexy, but we're going to make it sexy. We're going to make it beautiful. No, I'm saying. So, yes, sign up and get our newsletter. You'll get roughly one or two emails a week to talk about some of our new initiatives. But yeah, what we what we're trying to do, we're trying to change the boogie. We're trying to change that boogie in healthcare. Anyway, folks, thanks so much for listening. This has been fun. Every week, folks, you're gonna get a taste of this. You're gonna get a taste of this. It's gonna get it's gonna get wild. And last thing, connect with us anywhere on social media at Quadcast. That's at KWAD C A S T. We're on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube facebook our biggest followings on tiktok it's luscious folks y'all gotta jump on the train anyway thanks so much for listening we'll talk next week peace <laughs>